This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.4 in DeKalb Sycamore, 89.3 in Morris Joliet, 88.9 in Rockford, Marengo, Harvard, in Harvard area, covering much of central Illinois and also northern Illinois and growing thanks to you. We're going to have a great show for you today. We've been gone for a couple of weeks here. Of course, it's been very, very cold and also icy, and we don't get around on that kind of, of a terrain and the weather like we used to. So we skipped those two, two weeks. We're back to nicer weather here, I guess, if you can call this nice, a little bit cloudy and wet. You but can nevertheless, cut through the fog. It's been above freezing, and you're right. If you can cut through the fog, it's quite foggy. And for you people that don't have to travel, I'd be very careful out there on the interstates. And as you heard, I'm here with my wife, Lynn. And remember, we are always brought to you by you, and we need your donations, so please do so today. And uh, we'd like you to make a donation right now. And you can call our phone at 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. Or you can go to our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. And that's probably the best place to go. It will tell you more about us. It will tell you how to make a donation. And you can learn a lot about what we do, our stations, and how you can help and contribute. And uh, it's a great place to get good information. And as I said, I'm here with my wife, Lynn. We're going to have a great show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit today about Sola Scriptura, and we're going to talk about how Sola Scriptura gets revelation wrong. And I don't mean that it gets revelation wrong in the sense that there's a misunderstanding of what revelation means necessarily, but there's a misunderstanding of what revelation is and that misunderstanding applies a lot to Catholics as well as it does to Protestants. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what revelation is, not what revelation means, but what it is and why that's important and why that casts a lot of doubt. In fact, in my opinion, it refutes completely Sola Scriptura. And so we'll get to that a little later. I'm going to turn this over to my wife, Lynn, and see what she has to say. Well, hello, everybody out there. Good to be back with you, as Bob says. Some of this weather, we've kind of been housebound, you know, and then you get a little cranky. <laughs> At least, you know, that's the way it is in our house. But uh, glad to be back and out and going. This crazy weather, isn't it, for this time of the year? I don't know if we'd be better off just having snow and sun or what well it'll change you know we're at near the end of january here monday i think is the 29th and in two weeks the 15th of february lent starts and have you made up your thought about what you're going to give up for lent or do for lent something a little extra in your routine I think I'll give up aging. That was aging. A good, a good thing to me to give up well, is giving, giving yeah. up aging. Well, I'd like to have it go in reverse. <laughs> but 
I don't know if we're going to get that. The time goes by. So, I mean, when you're talking about that, the 15th being the start of Lent already, and then it seems as if you get through that and you're into spring and summer and you're right back on the way into winter again, and the years just go by faster and faster, it seems like, as you get older. Oh, it does. And uh, you wonder, where, where did all this time go? For goodness sakes, it just flies by too fast. I'm having a hard time keeping track of what day of the week it is or what the date is because it's really not that important. It goes by so fast. The only thing that keeps me on any schedule is what appointments we have, and that gets old real quick. So, well, Bob, what are we talking about, Sola Scriptura? We're going to talk about what Sola Scriptura— what Sola Scriptura gets wrong about Revelation. And we're going to talk here about what Revelation is, not so much what Revelation means, but what it is and why the idea of Sola Scriptura gets it wrong and why many Catholics as well get it wrong too. And it's a good article here by Joe Heschmeyer from Catholic Answers, and it's in the magazine Catholic Answers, And it's an older issue. It's a 2019 issue, November, December 2019. And it's a good article, what what scripture versus tradition. And it really, I think, puts to rest the whole idea of sola scriptura once and for all. And it, I think, will enlighten a lot of Catholics as to what exactly revelation is. Not so much what it means, but what is it? And the difference that the earlier church, and especially the uh, Middle Ages church, the idea they had about Revelation, which of course is far more accurate than the idea that we have about Revelation because of this emphasis on uh, the Bible and Scripture that wasn't stressed so much in the Middle Ages. And so we're going to go into that, and I think it'd be a very interesting article. Is there anything else you might want to say before we start, Lynn? No. No. Okay. So let's let's read from this article, and I think I really enjoyed reading it. Somehow I, you know, I get this magazine. I must have read it years ago or something, but I, I somehow missed it. You put things aside. You don't get back to them. And when I saw this, just paging through this for some other reasons, I thought this is something that really I think is important and uh, we should discuss. But anyway, here we go. What Sola Scripture Gets Wrong About Revelation by Joe Heschmeyer from Catholic Answers. And it starts, it says, The debate over the Protestant doctrine of Sola Scriptura is often framed as a question of whether the fullness of revelation is Scripture or Scripture plus apostolic tradition. But in fact, both sides of this debate are wrong in fundamental ways. To see why, consider the position of Dr. Michael Kruger, a New Testament professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. Kruger argues that the New Testament writings, quote, should be seen as the final installment of God's revelation to his people. These writings, together with the Old Testament, are the only ones that are rightly considered the Word of God. This conviction of sola scriptura, the scriptures alone are the Word of God, and therefore the only infallible rule for the life and doctrine provided the fuel needed to ignite the Reformation. And this was taken from a magazine, Table magazine, an article titled, entitled Scripture Alone in the November 2012 issue 
of that magazine, Table Talk magazine, a Protestant publication. And of course, uh, Dr. Kruger is also a, a Protestant who emphasizes that there is such a thing as sola scriptura. But Hirschmeyer goes on to say, well, what's wrong with this description? It would be tempting to engage Kruger's arguments on its own terms to say that no, Scripture and tradition comprise revelation and that the Word of God includes both sources. But in reality, that answer is scarcely better. The real problem is that Kruger's claims fundamentally misunderstand what's meant by revelation, as well as what's meant by the Word of God. And Kruger is by no means alone here. The basic errors that he's making here are the same errors made by a surprising number of Protestant theologians and exegetes, and not a few Catholics. There are three particular points worth highlighting here. First, revelation is an action, not a collection. A critical insight in this debate was contributed by a young Father Joseph Ratzinger. While researching the, the theology of St. Bonaventure, he discovered that there was nothing corresponding to our conception of revelation in either Bonaventure or any of the other theologians, such as St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. Make no mistake, the scholastics had a clear understanding of revelation. It just wasn't the way we so often use the term today to mean sacred scripture or all the revealed contents of the faith. Instead, during the Middle Ages, revelation is always a concept denoting an act. The word refers to the act in which God shows himself, not to the objectified result of this act. And because this is so, the receiving subject is always a part of the concept of revelation. And that's really important to understand, that there is a receiving subject to revelation. Revelation is something that has to be revealed to someone. This, of course, is the proper sense of revelation. If you learn that a friend has revealed a secret that you'd confided in him, your first question would naturally be, to whom did you reveal it? And you would be rightly confused if the other person responded, oh, to no one, I just revealed it. That's because despite our misuse of the term revelation as a synonym for Scripture, we still have some sense of revelation as requiring two parties. I mean, that's what revelation is. It's the revelation of something to someone. The English word revelation comes from the Latin revelare, meaning to unveil. And so Ratzinger argued, where there's no one to perceive revelation, no revelation has occurred, because no veil has been removed. By definition, revelation requires a someone who apprehends it. In other words, when speaking about revelation, it's not just a matter of what is being revealed, but also to whom it is being revealed. But if this is true, then revelation precedes Scripture and becomes deposited in Scripture, but is not simply identical with Scripture, since revelation is always, by definition, something greater 
than what is merely written down. In other words, it's the act of actually someone revealing something to someone else. Ratzinger concludes this observation by noting that this means that, that, that there can be no such thing as pure sola scriptura, that is, by scripture alone, because an essential element of scripture is the church as the understanding subject of revelation. And with this fundamental sense of tradition, <clears throat> rather, and with this fundamental sense, tradition is already a given. Second, God's revelation includes the meaning and not just the text of the Bible. Just what is it that God has revealed? An obvious answer is the Bible. But that's facile. To understand why, consider the following. When was the Old Testament revealed? The easy answer is that it was when God spoke to or through the various Old Testament prophets. But that's not what the Church Fathers or the Bible itself says. Both Scripture and the Fathers speak of the Old Testament not being revealed until Christ. For instance, St. Augustine says in one of his biblical commentaries, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. The claim here isn't just that Jesus or the New Testament fulfill the Old Testament, but that the Old Testament is revealed only in the light of Christ. In other words, the Old Testament is not fully understood until Christ appears personally on the scene and makes it understood. St. Paul says the same thing. Even using the imagery of a veil, specifically the one Moses used to cover his face after standing in the presence of God. In speaking of those Jews whose minds were hardened, Paul says that when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. In other words, they can't really read and see what's in the Old Testament until Christ shows them. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And this is said by Paul in 2 Corinthians. What does this unveiling in Christ look like? It looks like the road to Emmaus, where, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus reveals things to people about himself that they would have never seen without his efforts. Prior to this point, his disciples had the scripture that we would later call the Old Testament, but they didn't see their deepest cryptological meaning. They had the words of Psalm 22, for example, but apart from the cross, couldn't know the true meaning of Psalm 22. And so, Scripture speaks of there still being a veil until Christ rends it in two, revealing everything. So again, it's this whole idea of Scripture being made clear and being made understood by someone, that is Jesus, reveal, revealing something to someone else, that is Paul, or to the Jews, or to other people, and that is to what would become the church. So the revelation is to something, and that something is the church. 
If Scripture is so clear that we don't need a guide, why don't Protestants agree with one another? This is another topic. This has an important implication for the Reformation because the Reformers speak and act as if Christ never removed the veil. Early on in the Reformation, Luther struggles with his own position, wondering, Behold, how great is the authority of the Church and the Pope! And you alone, are you alone wiser than they are? You also may err. He's saying this about himself. And so we're going to stop here and take a break, and we'll continue on with this struggle that Luther is having and see that his resolution to that struggle really isn't sufficient to explain what he's trying to explain. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Three Kings Gifts has sacramental and seasonal gifts, religious medals, rosaries, and more on the College Avenue Epiphany Church campus in Normal. Three Kings Gifts is open 10 to 3.30 on Thursday and Friday, 8 to 1 on Sunday. Profits help charitable organizations. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins Place. God bless you, and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. If you have some extra time, Put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas. Rockford, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic. We're back from our break, and we're talking here uh, about uh, Revelation And we're talking about how Revelation, the real understanding of Revelation, that is the understanding of what Revelation is, refutes the whole idea of Sola Scriptura. We're talking about Luther here questioning himself, saying that there's so much to understand and so much that the Church knows and he struggles with his own position early on in the Revelation, and I mean early on in the Reformation, not the Revelation, early on in the Reformation, Luther is struggling himself with what he's doing and wondering, you know, about the authority of the church, and uh, he talks about the how great the authority of the church is and how great the authority of the Pope is, and he asks himself, are you alone wise? That is, am I, Luther, alone wise? And may I not also err? And this is the right question. If God has revealed his truth to his people, and more precisely to his church, how can we hold that the people don't have the truth? 
over time, Luther became more strident and seemed to succeed in quieting that inner voice that questioned his own authority. By 1525, he claims that everything in Scripture is perfectly clear. This doctrine, sometimes called the perspicuity of Scripture, is another of his own creations. His claim is that Christ has opened our understanding, that we should understand the Scriptures, and that therefore nothing at all has been left obscure or ambiguous. Rather, everything that is contained in the Scriptures has been drawn out into the most assured light and declared to the whole world by the ministry of the Word. And that is taken from his uh, bondage of the will. It's a non-too-subtle attempt to eliminate the need for any sort of interpretive authority, such as the church or tradition, by saying Scripture is so clear that everyone of good faith already understands everything. Luther even challenges Erasmus of Rotterdam to come and produce a single mystery in the Scriptures which still remains shut up. But there are a few obvious difficulties with Luther's view here. If Scripture is so clear that we don't need a guide, why don't Protestants agree with one another? Both the Lutherans and the Reformed, for instance, end up affirming some version of the perspicuity of Scripture, meaning that both sides think that the Bible's teachings are clear and self-evident. But when pressed as to just what the Bible is teaching so clearly, they disagree in some profound ways significant enough to form distinct denominations. Moreover, what about the fact that each of these Protestant sects was forming new theological systems never seen before in history and proclaiming doctrines never previously held? It's not as if the Reformers were taking one of two sides in an ages-old fight. On many doctrines, including central ones like justification, they formulated positions that no one had held. For instance, in attempting to rebut Catholic charges that the Reformers' views were novelties, the Protestant historian and theologian Alistair McGrath attempted to find support for the Reformation in the Church Fathers. Ultimately, he concluded that forensic justification and imputed righteousness are not merely absent from the writings of the patristic era, but actually excluded by those writings, especially those of Augustine. Forerunners of the Reformation, this is taken from Forerunners of the Reformation from the Harvard Theological Review. Also, and that the introduction of such a theological novum, that is novelty, created a fundamental discontinuity into the Western theological tradition where none had ever existed or ever been contemplated before. So, in other words, these reformers were inventing many new, and I say inventing here, but they were coming up with many new and different theories and different explanations contradicting with each other that uh, people had never, ever heard of before. It would be equally difficult to trace a clear line of theological development from the Church Fathers to Zwingli on the Eucharist or to the Anabaptists on what baptism does or doesn't do. In other words, they weren't just arguing old arguments or trying to resolve uh, old problems that the church had arrived at. They were coming up with brand new explanations of things that nobody had ever, ever explained or heard before. And in 
these these explanations were differing from each other, and they were arguing against each other over what these things meant, and it, it didn't give a very clear idea of understanding at all. To say that the Protestant reformers were right on these issues is to say that everybody up to that point was wrong. But how can anyone hold such a position and claim that Scripture is clear, and in, in fact so clear that it doesn't need an interpreter? You know, it's a, it's a contradiction. Luther anticipated this objection, and he was ready for it. And here's what he says. He says, The fact that so many truths are still shut up to, to many does not arise from any obscurity in the Scripture, but from their own blindness or carelessness, which is such that they take no pains to discern the truth, though it is most evident. As Paul says of the Jews, the veil remains upon their heart. And we get this from Luther's bondage of the will. This comes remarkably close to Luther speaking of his own teachings as new divine revelation. After all, recall the context of 2 Corinthians 3.15. It was St. Paul speaking of the Jews having a veil over their heads and reading the Old Testament scripture because those texts were unveiled only in the light of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is not saying that the Jews were too blind or too stupid, you know, or too unwilling to understand Scripture. Christ had not yet arrived. This is why Scripture was not unveiled. And Luther is trying to take this and saying that, that the people are blind like the Jews, and that's why they don't understand Scripture, because they're too stubborn and they're too blind of their own free will. But that's not the case that Paul is making at all. Paul here is very clear. He is saying that Scripture wasn't understood because Christ had not yet arrived. It was only with the arrival of Christ that the Old Testament was made clear to those people that Christ had revealed it, and Christ revealed it to the church. And this is the argument that Paul is making, and Luther is overlooking that argument, or somehow he's taking that argument and twisting it so that it is not the argument that it really is. <clears throat> For this reason, St. Paul became a minister of the church to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. In other words, this is the task that Paul takes upon himself to go out into the world and teach this. In other words, Paul is, in effect, you know, a representative of the church. And the revelation was made to the church. And it's Paul's job, as he sees it, to make this revelation known. And this is how the Middle Ages looked at revelation. It's an act. It's an act of making known to the world what Christ made known to the church. And this is what Christians are, are obligated to do. And this is what we do when we go out into the world. We teach what Christ has given to us, and he has revealed those things that make Christianity clear and real, revealed to us what the Old Testament actually was foretelling and paving the way for. And this is what Luther is overlooking. But Luther's argument is that this unveiling didn't happen until he, Luther, came along. <laughs> By this view, the Old and New Testament remain veiled until they are unveiled in the light of Martin Luther. And that, of course, is you know, something that Luther himself would probably try to deny because he... he would not take himself to be a God. replacement, yeah, God or a replacement for Jesus Christ. But he gets caught in a bind here 
because his explanation is not a, a clear explanation of what really was going on. His explanation is an explanation that he made up and that tries to cover up what's really going on here because he tries to deny that there's a necessity to have the church. He said, tries to point, point out that Scripture can be a replacement for revelation. But Scripture and revelation, as we're beginning to see here, are not at all the same thing. Revelation is an act, and Scripture is simply a record of that act, and it's not a substitute for that act. In response to chastisement, in response to charismatic preachers such as Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagin, who claimed to be receiving new revelations from God, the popular Calvinist preacher John MacArthur replied, if God is still granting new revelation, then the truth of God is still being progressively revealed. And if this were the case, our duty would be to faithfully listen to today's prophets as they unravel God's truth in new and clearer representations than we find in Scripture. MacArthur is right to reject the preachers on these grounds, but he fails to see that these are equally good grounds for rejecting John Calvin and Martin Luther as well. It's worth, no, it's worth noting how uncomfortably Luther's view of Revelation fits alongside his view of their purposeuity of Scripture. So, in other words, Scripture is not perspicuous. Let me try to get that word out there. Scripture is not perspicuous. Scripture is very difficult to understand unless Scripture is revealed to us, just as we see it being revealed on the road to Emmaus, for example, and just as Jesus revealed what the Old Testament meant to the church. And it took the church some time and Jesus some effort to make this understood and to send the disciples out into the world to explain it. And that's what they did. And so revelation was and is an act, and it is not scripture. It is an act of actually doing something, revealing something to a someone, and that someone is the church. Right. Uh, it might be easy to remember if you remember in English class, the teacher diagramming or yourself diagramming a sentence on the board. And what do you have? Revelation is an action verb. Action verb has a recipient, which is to whom it's revealed. The, the, what's, so keep that in mind. I keep the, that, I can just see it on the blackboard. Revelation is an action verb, and who gets it is the object. Exactly. You know, I reveal this to you. In other words, it's it's doing something to someone. It's taking it. It takes an object, and that object of revelation is the church. Something is being revealed by someone to someone, and it is being revealed by Christ to His church. To the you know, when we talk about being revealed to Paul, Paul is His church. John is His church. Peter is His church. The disciples are his church, and the revealing that is going on is being done by him. He's taking the Jewish Bible, and he's making it clear so that they understand what it really means, and they couldn't have understood it before. It wasn't that they were blind or stubborn or unwilling to see the truth. It was simply they were unable to see the truth because Jesus Christ had not come. We have to remember 
that these early disciples were Jews. And they had not understood Scripture until it was revealed to them, and it had to be revealed to somebody, and it was revealed to them. It's simply Jesus, if you came and asked him, and he said, I revealed something, and you said, who did you reveal it to? And Jesus said, oh, nobody, I just revealed it. You'd be scratching your head in puzzlement, wondering, how can this be? So, anyhow, when St. Philip found the Ethiopian eunuch reading the book of Isaiah, he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? To which the man humbly replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And it's the same thing. It's like saying, how can I, unless someone reveals to me what this means? Otherwise, I don't know. And so, it was the same with the Old Testament. And the New Testament is simply an explanation, in effect, uh, to a great extent, of the Old Testament. So within the New Testament, we don't find Scripture treated as so clear that it can be well understood apart from a guide. But neither do we find it veiled, awaiting the coming of Luther into the world. No, the Church understands what it means and reveals it, to the extent that Christ wanted them to understand it. Instead, we find a more nuanced position. It's good to read and study and pray on Scripture, but there are going to be confusing passages that contain some things in them hard to understand. And that comes from 1 Peter 3.16, for which the church serves an important role in the process of revelation, and that is handing on to others what it has received from Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what the church has been doing for 2,000 years, handing on to others what it has received. And Paul himself says this. He says, I hand on to you what I have received from others, what I have received, in effect, from Christ. St. Jerome described this role by saying that the streams of theological argument can be dried up with the single son of the church, and that we ought to remain in that church, which was founded by the apostles and continues to this day. He warns, that if ever you hear of any that are called Christians taking their name from the Lord Jesus Christ, not from the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry there, if you ever hear of any that are called Christians taking their name not from the Lord Jesus Christ, but from some other, he's saying that, that this is not the church. He's thinking of Marcionites and Valentians, but it's just as true of Lutherans and Calvinists. In other words, if there's somebody calling themselves something other than Christians, that is, calling themselves something that they got from someone other than Jesus Christ, then that is not the true church. You may be sure that you have there not the true church of Christ, but the synagogue of the Antichrist. For the fact that they took their their rise after the foundation of the church is proof that they are those they, they are those whose coming the apostles foretold and let them not flatter themselves if they think they have scripture <clears throat> or scripture authority for their assertions since the devil himself quote, quoted scripture and the essence of the scriptures is not the letter but the meaning 
So we're going to stop there and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. As Catholic Spirit Radio touched you, maybe it has brought you closer to God or even into the church. Tell us your story. Call or text our listener comment line. If you like, you can remain anonymous. 773-541-4159. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line. If you have some extra time, put those hours to use for the Lord. With Catholic Spirit Radio's growing radio network, we have three new behind-the-scenes volunteer positions. If you're interested, call the station. 309-807-2427. Volunteers are specifically needed for each of these roles. First, an energetic and experienced event manager is needed to coordinate our spring and fall on-air fundraisers. Give us a call if that's you. Second, Catholic Spirit Radio needs one to two hours every two or three weeks from a volunteer or a team of two for lightweight general cleaning at our normal location. Give us a call if you and a friend are interested. And third, we are in need of one to two spirit liaisons from each of these areas, Rockford, Harvard, Harvard, Morris, DeKalb, Sycamore, Lincoln, Pontiac, and Clinton. These individuals will assist with informational tables at your local events. Give us a call if you can help out. Become part of our radio mission in 2024. Volunteer at Catholic Spirit Radio. 309-807-2427. Hi, this is John Hall, president of Catholic Spirit Radio. Do you enjoy our programming? Well, we need your support to keep the programming at Catholic Spirit Radio on the air. If you already give, thank you. We appreciate your help. If you haven't given, we need your help now. To donate, go online at catholicspiritradio.com. That's catholicspiritradio.com. Or mail your donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Or stop by 108 Boykins place. God bless you and thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic. We're back from our break and we're talking about uh, Revelation and we're talking about how the actual meaning of what Revelation is, not so much the meaning of Revelation, but what Revelation is, refutes this whole idea of Sola Scriptura that uh, you can't go by Scripture alone because Scripture, especially the Old Testament, was unveiled by Jesus Christ. In other words, it was revealed to his church, and that Revelation is not Scripture. Scripture simply is a record of Revelation of what had been revealed, but uh, Revelation itself is not something in the sense of simply a a, an object or a result. It's not a, a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. Revelation is something being done. Revelation is something that is being done by one person or one body to another. And it's, it's something that's, that's going on or that went on. And Scripture is simply a record of what happened. It's not the happening itself. The happening had to take place in real time, and it had to take place by one party to another party, and that is what that party is Jesus Christ revealing what Scripture meant, that is the Old Testament, to his church and revealing what he means to his church, who he is, and what he's, he's about to his church. 
And so there has to be a receptacle, and that receptacle is the church, and that church has to be an authority that hands on what's been revealed to it because it hasn't been revealed to other people. It's been revealed to the church. And so we need to have that understanding to understand that sola scriptura simply can't stand on its own. It's like saying that somehow or another, something that needs to be revealed wasn't revealed, and yet somehow we can look at it and understand it, and that's simply not possible. So it goes on here, it says, let those people who think that they have revelation simply by reading scripture not flatter themselves if they think that they have scripture authority for their assertions. Since the devil himself quoted scripture, and the essence of the scriptures is not the letter, but the meaning. Otherwise, if we follow the letter, we too can concoct a new dogma and assert that such persons, it goes on here, as wear shoes and have two coats, must not be received into the church. And they're talking here about interpreting some meanings of Scripture that I won't get into. But the point is, is it's in other words, we could read Scripture, and every time we see a passage that might be confusing to us, that we don't understand what really means, and we can't go back to find that answer in written history somewhere, then the only place we can find that answer, of course, is within the church. That is, if it doesn't fit the teachings that were handed down by the church, then we can't assume that we somehow or another have some kind of new teaching that we can interpret for ourselves. Because if we do that, we're in effect being saying that we have the same authority and power as Jesus Christ, and we don't have that power. And the authority of Jesus Christ was given to his church because he revealed these meanings to them, to his church. In other words, we're left with two options. One view is that God revealed the letter, but not the meaning of Scripture. It's a strangely legalistic idea. After all, what use is Scripture if we can't understand it? That is, if we can make it into anything we wish to make it. And you can take Scripture, you can read the Bible, and there are so many different things that uh, can be misconstrued that it is very easy to constantly concoct all kinds of new ideas and new meanings and go on doing this forever and ever. And we do have this actually in result if we take a look at the, the different Protestant denominations. As I understand it, I've used this term before, uh, there are around 35,000. That's an awful lot of differences to say that Scripture is perfectly clear. As Jerome presciently recognizes in such a view were endlessly subjected to new heresies based upon silly misunderstandings of Scripture. Even the devil can play along, as we saw in the temptation of Christ in Matthew. On the other hand, if the essence of the Scriptures is not the letter but the meaning, and this is what God unveils to the church, then we needn't worry. The unveiling of the meaning of Scripture, by definition, means that revelation— of orthodox theology belongs to the church. In other words, the act of revelation was given to the church. It was an act by Jesus Christ, and he did the unveiling. And a good example of it, again, I keep on going back, but a very good example of it is uh, on the road to Emmaus, where the persons walking along don't understand at all what's going on, and then Christ reveals it to them, and afterwards, they're astonished, and they say, we didn't understand any of these things until this man made it clear to us. He revealed it to our minds. We were then able to understand. 
And that's exactly what Christ has been doing all the time with his disciples, that is his church. But the alternative, the view articulated by Paul, Jerome, and Augustine, is that divine revelation includes God revealing the meaning of Scripture, which necessarily includes orthodox theology, to the church. If this is true, then Jerome is right that the church serves as a sort of sun, drying up the streams of theological argumentation we would otherwise fall into. And this is exactly what we find from Scripture. So, again, the church dries up the arguments that go on unless there is someone who understands the revelation, the, the, the meaning of Scripture, the meaning of what the Old Testament was driving at, and that is the church. There has to be a, someone that received that revelation and it can't be just some kind of revelation lying there by itself revealed to whom. Third, the full revelation of God isn't Scripture, but Jesus. In other words, Jesus himself, the doing, the acting, the being, the inexistence, is the revelation itself. Defenses of the doctrine of sola scriptura tend to proof text biblical passages by treating revelation, the law, prophecy, and the Word of God as synonyms of the Bible, and particularly the 66 books of the modern Protestant Bible. In fact, each of these terms refer to something distinct. The most egregious case is the Word of God. Michael Kruger defines sola scriptura as a conviction that the scriptures alone are the Word of God. But the scriptures alone are not the Word of God because the Word of God is Jesus Christ. The Word of God is an action. The Word is something that is doing, something that is being done, and something that is being done from someone to someone. That would have been news to St. John, who says that the Logos, the Word of God, is Jesus Christ. John himself says that, John 1 to 1, 4, 14. This isn't a semantical point. It speaks to a chasm between the way Protestants and Scripture speak and think of Revelation. The faulty lens of sola scriptura causes Protestants to read passages about God's self-revelation in Christ as passages about the Bible. Uh, In the early church, this was viewed as commentary about Jesus. Oregon cites it as an example of things said by himself about himself. In other words, Jesus is saying things uh, by, you know, by himself, about himself, to somebody. John MacArthur, in contrast, calls it one of the many statements that the Bible makes concerning itself. In other words, he's talking about Jesus Christ as if Jesus Christ is a passage of Scripture, as if Jesus Christ is a Bible, and the Bible talking about itself, as if Jesus Christ is out of the picture, and all we have to have is the historical documentation of what Christ did, and as long as we have that, we don't need Christ. Aquinas describes how Scripture is called the Word of God analogously from Jesus, the true Word of God, as Aquinas says. In other words, the real Word of God, the Word that came into existence, the Word that we hear John talk about, is an actual being, something that is acting, something that was there from the very beginning and it was acting upon the world. The Protestant theologian 
Telford work claims that Jesus is the Logos only metaphorically. I mean, you know, this is this is something claimed here boldly by a Protestant that Jesus somehow is only the Logos metaphorically. I mean, the focus is on the Bible, that somehow the Bible supersedes Jesus. And of course, that this simply isn't true. Uh, while the true word of God is actually scripture, but the fact is that scripture is only an echo of the word of God. It's only a, a recording of some of the words of God, for one thing. This, conf- conf- this conflation is genuinely tragic because Protestants are missing the heart of God's self-revelation. The epistle to the Hebrews opens by saying, quote, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. So God revealed himself in various ways, and he revealed himself in some ways earlier. But he didn't reveal himself fully until he revealed himself through the son. And the son, that is Jesus Christ himself, is the word of God. And scripture is just a a distant recording of that word of God. The real thing is Jesus himself, that is, someone who did the revealing and who did the revealing to someone, and that someone is the church. And it goes on, it says, God was never confined to Scripture. Throughout history, he has revealed himself in many and various ways. When St. Paul says of the pagans that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, he's speaking in the language of revelation. God has revealed himself partially even to unbelievers. He does this through creation, which bears witness to the creator. And if we take a look at creation, of course it bears witness to a creator. And through the voice of conscience, the veil isn't totally removed, but something at least is being revealed. And when the fullness of revelation comes, it's not a book. It's a person, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. Jesus doesn't come to bring us the New Testament. The New Testament exists to bring us to Jesus. In other words, Jesus doesn't come with the New Testament in hand and say, here, this is what's important. The New Testament records the fact that Jesus came. The New Testament is a reflection of what happened. It's pointing back to what was going on. It's saying, here, this man here revealed something, and he revealed it to somebody, and that was the church. And it's a record of that. And while it's true that much of what we know of Jesus' life and teaching we know through Scripture, this is by no means exhaustive. In other words, Scripture is not a biography of Jesus Christ. It wasn't intended to be. Jesus Christ came and revealed what was important to his church, and the church recorded that to the extent that it needed to. And In some of that recording, there are things about Jesus that we know and understand, but it wasn't designed to give us a biographical account of Jesus's life and history and everything that he did. It was to give us an account of the revelation, the important things that he gave to his church, and that his church is to pass on to others after receiving the revelation from the actual word of God himself. It goes on here, it says that, Indeed, there are also many other things which Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would then be written. This is John saying this. And so John is saying, yes, there's 
tremendous amount of things, you know, that we could write about Jesus that we didn't write. And we could continue to write about all the various things he did. But the important thing is what we did was we wrote down the revelation he gave to us about the important things we were supposed to learn and go out into the world and teach. And this is what we have been doing and what we have to continue to do and hand on to others as it has been handed on to itself. Just as it's been revealed to us, we need to reveal it to others. And so instead of debating whether revelation as some vaguely defined list of proposition is scripture and tradition or scripture alone, we should come to a deeper understanding of what scripture, tradition, and the church have to say, namely that God reveals himself in many and various ways, ultimately revealing himself fully in Jesus Christ. This revelation is to the church so that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this is the end of the article, but I hope that there's a better understanding of what revelation is. It is an act, and it is an ongoing thing that someone is doing to someone else. It is not simply a book or a page of words or a history or a biography. It is an actual ongoing thing, and it has to be done by someone or something, and that someone or something is the church because it was the church to which this revelation was given in the first place. And what you had said previously, it's our job to pass it on and to keep it whole as it was revealed to us. And so I think with that understanding of revelation, it seems to me, Lynn, that that is the best refutation of sola scriptura that I have ever heard. Uh, You can argue and argue and argue, but when you look at it from the point of view as the early church and the Middle Middle Ages church sought, they understood revelation as an act. They understood it as an ongoing thing, as something being done. And that's what revelation is. And it is silly, isn't it, to think of, you know, if I were to ask you, uh, you told me that you revealed something to some, you know, to something that I had given you, you revealed it to someone else. And I said, oh, who are you? You revealed it. You just said you revealed it. And I said, oh, well, who did you reveal it to? And then you told me, oh, I didn't reveal it to anyone. I just revealed it. I'd wonder, what? (laughs) What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? You have to reveal it to someone. It's not just a pile of words sitting there that we're supposed to somehow interpret. It's something that someone did, and they had to do it to somebody, and that somebody is the church, and there can be no substitute for that church. And it's what happened, and it's what you know, the Bible, in its effect, records. And so in that, in that way, it's still happening, and that we can go back and look and see that it was done. But again, it had to have—the Bible is not a substitute for the body that the revelation was given to. And that body is still in existence. It goes on from generation to generation in the walking, talking, teaching, living church. And without that, we're lost. So we're going to have to stop here, and uh, we'll come back and talk more about the church next week, and we'll talk about uh, some of the, the controversies and so forth going on in the church. I think this article would be very appropriate for introducing that. We'll have to go and, and it to a little bit more talk about that next week. So tune in then. In the meantime, St. Michael, the, the Archangel, Archangel defend us in, in battle. battle.
We are, are protection against, against the wickedness and snares of the, the devil. devil. May, May God, God rebuke him and humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the by power, the power of, God, of God, thrust, thrust into, into hell, hell Satan, and all, and all evil spirits who wander, who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. souls. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.